Turn with me, please, to Romans chapter 13. Romans chapter 13, verses 1 through 7. This is the word of the Lord. Listen carefully. Let every person be in subjection to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and those which exist are established by God. Therefore, he who resists authority has opposed the ordinance of God, and they who have opposed will receive condemnation upon themselves. For rulers are not a cause of fear for good behavior, but for evil. Do you want to have no fear of authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. For it is a minister of God to you for good. But if you do what is evil, be afraid. For it does not bear the sword for nothing. For it is a minister of God, an avenger who brings wrath upon the one who practices evil. Wherever it is necessary to be in subjection, Wherefore, there we go, wherefore it is necessary to be in subjection, not only because of wrath, but also for conscience' sake. For because of this you also pay taxes for rulers, you also pay taxes for rulers are servants of God, devoting themselves to this very thing. Render to all what is due them, tax to whom tax is due, Custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. Amen. Pray with me. O Lord, we thank you for the fact that um, all that you say to us is good and um, we can pursue what you teach us wherever it is found, uh, pursue obedience to it uh, with great confidence, knowing that it is always the right thing to do, even when it is difficult at times. Lord, we uh, thank you for this passage and the uh, topic at hand uh, in it. We ask that you would bless our time now. Would you please help me to accurately unpack uh, its meaning and its application for us today. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Tomorrow morning at 8.30, I'm going to be in downtown Lufkin at the courthouse. I'm going to be there because I've been summoned for jury duty. Yippee! No, actually, um, I, I'm, not, I'm joking about the yippee. Um, it, it is um, something that part of me would very much like to do. There's other parts of it that are uh, 
uh, a little bit uh, challenging for me in terms of scheduling and that sort of thing. But the point is, I have to be there. And um, why do I have to be there? Well, you, all of you adults know. Uh, uh, Bebo may not know this, but uh, um, the reason I have to be down at the courthouse tomorrow to uh, uh, possibly be chosen for jury duty is because those who are over me in the government uh, tell me that I need to be there. I have been summoned. I'm not being asked to show up. I'm being told to show up at the courthouse, and I might get chosen to be on a uh, jury tomorrow. I might not. Who knows? But the point is, uh, I've got to be there, and it's because the government has told me to be there. But who says I need to obey the government? Bebo? Who says I need to obey the government? God does. God. And this text, that's the summary of this text, in, a se- in essence. Uh, I'm going to unpack this a little bit more for us, but that is the message of this text. There are uh, two major headings that we'll cover in the uh, time we have in this text. Uh, the first is as follows. God requires you to submit yourself to the governing authorities that he has placed over you. This text teaches that quite eloquently, actually. And secondly, this text also teaches us that God requires you to render honor and respect to the governing authorities that he has placed over you. He requires you to submit to them, and he requires you to honor and respect them. So let's look a little bit more closely at Romans 13. First of all, it states... Paul does, the Holy Spirit does through him, right there at the front of the chapter in uh, the very first verse, uh, the point that I just made a moment ago, and that is that God requires us to submit ourselves to the authorities that he's placed over us. Let every person be in subjection to the governing authorities. What is uh, the term to be in subjection that Paul uses here? It implies more than mere outward compliance to directives that come from the governing authorities over us. It's not merely that. It certainly is that. But it's more than just obeying directives, uh, laws that are set forth by the uh, those over us in state, uh, local, state, or federal uh, uh, government. To be in subjection means... Uh, biblically speaking, to recognize, first of all, the legitimacy of those authorities whom God has placed over us. That would, that's first of all, recognize that they're legitimately um, uh, governing authorities uh, that we have to submit to. And it also means, being in subjection, it means further that we acknowledge uh, our obligation to obey those authorities, and then that we willingly do that, that we willingly obey those legitimate authorities uh, and acknowledge that it is our obligation to do just that. Notice, in the verse I just read a moment ago, or the first part of that verse, verse nobody is exempt. He doesn't, say, he doesn't say, let most people be in subjection. 
He doesn't say let only adults be in subjection or only um, men or only women. He says every person, let every person be in subjection. So there is no person, uh, no Christian certainly, who has a right to ignore or violate laws of the nation in which we live. Assuming those laws don't contradict the laws of God. But other than that, we have no right to ignore or violate such laws. Why does God require this of us? Why does God require us to submit ourselves to the governing authorities? Well, first of all, and I've already made this point, but I'll make it again, we have to submit because human governments, like every other sphere of authority that exists on earth, human government or governments have been brought into being by divine appointment. By divine appointment. That is, God brought them into being. 13b, for there is no authority except from God. That's a pretty, pretty blanket statement right there. There is, no, there is no authority exists that isn't God's authority, ultimately, and that isn't derived uh, or brought about because of uh, divine um, activity. It all uh, comes under the heading of God's authority. The governments of the world exist because God wills and wants them to exist. Recall, if you will, the exchange between Jesus and Pilate after the crowd demanded that Jesus be crucified. We read this over in John's Gospel, uh, chapter 19, verses 9 uh, through 11. And uh, after uh, the um, people were calling on him to be crucified, we read starting in verse 9. It is verse 9? Yes, verse 9. I'll back up to verse 8. When Pilate therefore heard this statement, he was the more afraid, and he entered into the praetorium again and said to Jesus, Where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. Pilate therefore said to him, Do you not speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you, and I have authority to crucify you? And then notice Jesus' answer. Jesus answered, You would have no authority over me unless it had been given you from above. For this reason he who delivers delivered me up to you, meaning Judas there, has the greater sin. But notice, you would have no authority unless it had been given to you from above, meaning from God. God gave Pilate the authority to have Jesus crucified. Excuse me. Jesus gave Pilate the authority to have Jesus crucified. That's uh, saying the same thing. Pilate only had that authority because God willed and gave him, if you will, that authority at that period in time. Now, it's important to note uh, that the existence of the state, we'll call the governing authorities the state, that the existence of the state is not just in accordance with his um, dec- his decretive will that he has 
he's God has willed everything, so therefore God has decreed that the state exists because the state exists. Um, it's not merely that. It's that the uh, that's it's not just that reason that the state exists because God has decreed that it should exist, but it, also God has um, by precept and uh, by His revealed will found in His Word wants it to exist. In other words, God has instituted, He has authorized, He has appointed the state to be his chosen instrument for the establishment and maintenance of civic order. And Paul says that's so that the church might thrive. Over in uh, 1 Timothy chapter 2. We won't turn there, but it is found there. But that order, that civil order, is order that, uh, that the government, uh, the governing authorities, the state, establishes and maintains through the promulgation of laws and the enforcement of those laws to promote that order in the society, wherever it might be found. And this is true even in repressive societies, where you have uh, dictatorships uh, or uh, absolute monarchs. And this is the fact that this is the case... Um, that uh, the, 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 authority, the state has authority from God to enforce laws and to punish lawbreakers is what Paul refers to as the power of the sword there in verse 4 of our passage. So then, human governments exist by God's express command. That's one reason why we are required to submit to them. But more than this, we are required to submit to those authorities because the authority that they exercise is actually God's authority. It is His authority. It is on His behalf that the state, local, federal government here in our land and uh, uh, other uh, lands as well promote civil order. It's, it's uh, on His behalf that they promote order in 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 those civil uh, those societies rather or countries. It is on God's behalf that they punish those who violate the laws of that land. And it is on God's behalf and with God's authority that they commend those who abide by laws which promote civil order. So the governing authorities are a means, a tool that God uses to accomplish his sovereign purposes in the world. This side of the second coming. And so it's a tool. It's God's tool. He uses it for a couple of different things. He, uh, Paul, that's why Paul refers to it as the state or the governing authorities as ministers of God. They're his ministers. They serve, uh, they, they serve him. That's what to minister means. It's to serve. And they serve him. They uh, serve him for the, uh, uh, it's a minister of God for good to you, he says in verse 4. In other words, if you, if you uh, do what is good, the state commends you, uh, the state uh, protects you uh, as you do the right thing. And again, this is generally true. It's not always true, but it's generally true. And also, it's a minister of God in that uh, it brings to bear the sword upon those who practice evil. But God, it's God's instrument. Our government is God's instrument, which he wishes to use for his sovereign purposes. And the implications of all of this 
for you and me are found in verse 2. So let me read verse 1 again and then read verse 2 following. Let every person be in subjection to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God and those which exist, there it is, are established by God. And then he says, therefore, because that's the case, he who resists authority has opposed the ordinance of God. If we refuse to obey any or all All, any, of the laws of the city of Lufkin, or in case of those of you who live in other locales, the city of Nacogdoches and the like, uh, the municipal authorities. If we refuse to obey our municipal authorities, or the the state of Texas and its laws, or the, the United States federal government and its laws that we are uh, under, we are in effect defying God. We're saying God. I'm not going to do what you're telling me to do. That's de facto what's going on. It doesn't matter how insignificant or silly the law that you are breaking may be, and there are a lot of silly laws out there. It doesn't matter. Whether it's the law whether it be laws concerning the removal of tags from mattresses that we just bought at uh, uh, Johnson Furniture or whether it be laws concerning the disposal or proper disposal of used motor oil, or burn ban laws, you come up with one. You, you, You know what I'm talking about. Some of them are just downright silly. Recycling things. Whatever it is. When we don't willingly obey laws, of which we are aware, and we're not always aware of all the laws, but when we're aware of them and we don't willingly obey them, we are in rebellion against God seems to me this is what this text teaches. God expects us to acknowledge that the authority of the state, the city, the federal governments, that that authority that they exercise over us has been delegated to them by him. And he expects us to understand that and to acknowledge that. And he expects us to act in accordance with that knowledge. And to live in light of that knowledge that Authority over us is God's authority. So we are to obey the government's voice, if I can call it that, uh, as if it were God's voice on the subject, in some sense. Now Paul mentions the payment of taxes and customs specifically in verse 7. So it's clear, uh, I don't think anybody's going to argue here, that fudging on our taxes is not an option for us as Christians. Uh, so the next time when tax season comes around, if you owe, uh, as some of us do, rather than receiving a uh, refund, next time you write a check to Uncle Sam, uh, think of it as writing a check to the Lord in some sense, because it is ultimately kind of what you're doing. Yes, it's not a tithe check, but there is a sense in which you're writing a check to the Lord when you write a check to the government. You're obeying him by doing that. Um, and that's maybe might make the check a little easier to write, perhaps. What will happen if we do not submit? If you and I do not submit to the authorities that God has placed over us, well, we're told in this passage, first of all, we have something to fear. We should fear the government. If we are uh, willful and regular breakers of the uh, uh, government's laws, if we uh, uh, cast off that, that authority, if you will, 
then uh, we need to be afraid of experiencing the repercussions of that from the government. I used to be a speed demon. Uh, I used to regularly speed, and the sight of uh, police cars when I was during that time in my life, when I regularly did that, the sight of police cars in my rearview mirror made me nervous right away. I looked down at my speedometer, tapped my brake. Um, I don't do that anymore, um, but uh, I did at that uh, earlier stage in my life. And uh, I was right to do that, I was, because I was breaking the law oftentimes uh, when I was behind the wheel. I was afraid to, that I might get caught. <clears throat> so the government will become a source of fear to us if we do not submit. Um, we will also be perhaps punished by the state. Verse 2 uh, makes this point. And they who have opposed will receive condemnation upon themselves. Now that probably refers broadly, more broadly uh, to uh, uh, what God, God's, if you will, verdict on the matter is. But also the uh, government itself, I think, is probably in view there. When you are punished, or when I, any of us are punished for breaking a law, we need to understand that that punishment is actually an expression of God's displeasure with our behavior. Verse 4. Um, but if you do what is evil, be afraid, for it does not bear the sword for nothing, for it is a minister of God. God is, in other words, using it to reprimand you for your evil behavior when you disobey uh, God by disobeying the laws of the land an avenger who brings wrath upon those who practice evil. Okay, that's the bad news. But what will happen if we do submit? The text also addresses that in verse 3. We will have no cause for being afraid of the governing authorities under normal circumstances in the vast majority of cases. It no longer makes me nervous once in a while, I still struggle with the gas pedal, but not like I used to. It no longer, generally speaking, makes me nervous to see a police car in the rearview mirror. Uh, now that I'm making a greater effort to obey the speed limit. And it's a good feeling. I, I will drive down the road and I will see a police car, you know, with his radar on. And um, I don't have to slow down. I don't have to go, uh-oh. Am I going to get a ticket? Most of the time, I'm I'm uh, in 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 the range of uh, of obeying the speed limit, and it's not a it's not an issue, and that is a good feeling. And so we can we don't have cause for fear if we do the right thing and obey our governing authorities, and we will remain in good standing with the state, as verse three uh, goes on to uh, indicate that uh, we will receive praise, as it were, in a manner of speaking, from those who uh, are over us. But what if our leaders are doing things to which we are morally opposed? What about circumstances like that? Well, there are, of course, things that go on in our country that uh, all of us here today, this evening, would be opposed to. Uh, our government uh, condones, and now at least indirectly, pays for the murder of unborn children. Uh, our government permits and uh, pays for fetal tissue research, and, or at least it has in times past. I'm not sure if that was uh, um, 
addressed legislatively recently, but I, I know it has in the times past. Um, and of course, our government now uh, has declared it uh, completely acceptable for two people of the same sex to supposedly marry. Um, it is evil and, and will punish people who, uh, who discriminate against people like that uh, and uh, who don't want to participate in those kind of uh, unholy unions uh, or promoting those kind of things. And things appear to be getting worse. That's a matter of perspective, but uh, I think the trend isn't in the right direction. So are we still required by God to obey um, an increasingly immoral government? The answer is yes. We are. The Roman government was hardly what you would call immoral or just. But both Jesus and the apostles required believers to obey the government. Um, Likewise, God requires us to obey those who are in authority over us, regardless of how good they are at doing their job, or bad they are at doing their job. We are to obey up until such time as our rulers, our governing authorities, demand that we do something that is in and of itself sinful. That seems to me is where the line is to be drawn. Since paying taxes isn't in and of itself sinful, God requires us to pay them, even if the government uses some of our tax dollars for unholy purposes, and it does. Now, if we had lived in China in the 1980s and the government was trying to compel us uh, to abort our unborn children, then we would be committing a grave sin if we didn't do everything in our power short of taking another person's life to resist such a murderous demand. Uh, We would be obliged to disobey uh, if we were told that, if that ever became the law of our land, or if we had been in China back then. If a government ever tries to force us to allow openly immoral people to become members of our church because the government thinks we ought to be inclusive, we will be forced as a body to resist that and say, no, it ain't going to happen. Uh, And then we will have to quietly submit to whatever punishment the government might seek to impose upon us. But it seems to me that is what Scripture quite clearly teaches. So, God requires us to submit ourselves to those in authority over us that he has put in authority over us. But he also requires us to honor and respect those same authorities. And verse 7 is where this uh, point is derived, the latter part of it. We are to render to all what is due to them, 
And in the context, he's referring here to uh, them being the servants of God, the ministers of God, those the governing authorities. Tax to whom tax is due, custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. We are to fear and honor our authorities to the degree that we are able to do that and the offices that they hold. We are to hold those offices and the office holder in high esteem, it seems to me, in our minds, in our hearts. doesn't mean we have to approve the way they uh, govern. doesn't mean we have to think that they are uh, that they have to be uh, more uh, that they have to be moral people um, in order for us to uh, esteem them or honor them we don't have to or have hold them in high esteem rather but we need to hold the office holders in high esteem who are governing us we need to also i think it's clear speak respectfully of the offices that they hold and of the individuals who hold those offices even when we disagree strongly with such individuals And we also are to speak, I think, and I have failed in this regard myself on many an occasion, perhaps you have too, but I think we are to speak about our rulers in a respectful way, even when we disagree strongly with them. That's hard to do. Very hard, and I've failed miserably many a time, as I imagine some of you might have too. And if we were ever to interact with those officials, be they local judges, be they um, state representatives uh, that we didn't vote for and wish would be kicked out of office uh, because of the way they're governing, still, when we interact with them, we are not allowed to treat them disrespectfully it seems to me. All of that falls under the heading of honor, rendering honor to whom honor is due. And the honor is due is the implication here to your governing authorities. Why? Why do we have to be respectful or fearful? And why do we have to honor some of the people that we don't think deserve it, that are over us, local, state, national, what have you? We are required to be respectful and to render such honor and treat with such respect, not on account of who they are as men or women, men generically, not on account of their character, personal character, but we owe them honor and respect on account of the office that they hold, the fact that they are governing authorities who we are under, providentially. We owe them honor and respect because they are ministers, servants of God, whom he himself has appointed and delegated authority, his authority to. And they exercise their authority, even when it's exercised poorly, at his discretion, at his, excuse me, direction, I should say is providential direction. And even those who wouldn't otherwise deserve a lick of honor 
or respect, fear, I'm using those two words interchangeably now, uh, still need to receive it from us. Notice what Peter says in 1 Peter 2.18. Servants, he says in 17, honor all men, love the, uh, the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king, or there, that can be translated, emperor. Nero, I believe, was emperor at this point in time. And then he says in verse 18, Servants, be submissive to your masters with all respect. And here, there's a sense in which we are servants of the government, and not exactly servants, but under the government, like a servant is under his master. So the principle, I think, still carries over. Servants, be submissive to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and gentle, but also to those who are unreasonable. That same principle seems to me, if it, requ- if, it, if it was true that a Christian slave was required to render that to his master, even though his master was an absolute jerk or an evil man, unreasonable man, unfair man, he still had to do, this, do that because of the context, and he just mentioned honoring the king in the previous verse seems to me that principle carries over to the way we have to what we have to do with respect to the governing authorities uh, and, uh, as well as masters but uh, govern, governing people as well there are lots of politicians uh, down through the years that I have seen whose policies or character I loathe And I have often failed to to uh, obey God in terms of my responsibilities to them. Maybe you have as well. But we can't just because we don't like them as people and like their behavior, we can't just say, they're not getting respect or honor from me. I'm, I don't, I'm not going to give them this. I don't think this passage, these passages that we've just looked at, give us that option. We need rather to ask God for the grace to find the right balance, to know how to be respectfully critical, if I can put it that way, um, uh, to honor a person because of the office he or she holds, even when their character is wanting. God needs to give us the grace and we need to ask him for it. I think this passage points us to what what honors him and that is to honor those he's placed over us providentially. Let's pray for the grace to do that, shall we? Lord, we do pray for that grace. We need your help, Lord. It is not easy to find the, the balance of especially when it comes to those who are over us, who, if they weren't over us, we would have no respect for. But because they are over us, we're obliged to respect them in their office as that office holder because you have put that authority that they possess uh, in their hands. Lord, help us to do our to fulfill our obligations and duties as 
Christian citizens of the earth. Help us to do that in a way that recognizes that you are the ultimate authority and that all authority is ultimately from you and that when we honor and respect and obey those in authority over us legitimately that we are honoring and respecting and obeying you. Would you please help us to have that mindset more often? And would you please help us to uh, act in accordance with that view? And would you please be honored as we do that? We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Let's close our time by singing 54 in the Psalter hymnal. Receive now God's blessing. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be and abide with you both now and forevermore. Amen.